PGA Nation, we are back. And it is here. It's the fifth major. I don't know if that's a real thing, but people do say it, so we're going to stick with it. The fifth major, the Players' Championship, TPC Sawgrass is going to be a fun event. It is, for the most part, a full field. You're getting almost everyone you want other than Bryson, who withdrew. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And these are the types of tournaments where strategy comes into play even more so because it's a really different type of field, right? You're getting guys who we were used to seeing at 9K down in the 7K range. So roster construction is going to be a big deal this week. And watching us draft and who we prioritize will probably highlight that. I'm looking forward to it. Before we dive into things, we have a really special guest joining us tonight. As you all know, anyone who bets on golf, the PGA talent. John, how you doing tonight? What's going on, fellas? Thanks for having me. It's cool to be on the draft special. The last time I was on with you guys was for the Mayakoba, which I played. And this is another course that I have played. So I think, I don't know how this works, but I think Win Daily should just fly me out to every PGA course every week so that I can continue this because there's only two courses I've ever played. And it's the two that I'm doing with you guys. So if you ever want me back, um, have those people hook me up so that I can go to, I don't know, Augusta, just throwing a course out there. Yeah, you. just a random course out there. So we'll talk to Jason Mizrahi about that, John. I think that's a really good idea. I'm sure he'll That's a reasonable request. Yeah, I think that's totally true. Should we, should we all agree right here, if any of us wins a million dollars, that person has, pays for a foursome for the fall of, four of us at this course? Yeah, that's totally fair. right. That's yeah, that's fair. the least you could do, I would say. <laughs> now, quick question: Having played sawgrass, did you put a ball in the water on seventeen? No, um, I had my line at two and a half, and everyone smashed the over, and I actually went under. I ironically lost one in the trees on a on a layup uh, off the tee with my hybrid. I pulled it left on the third hole, the hole that or the third or the fourth, the one that Bryson topped with his hybrid. I was like, Ooh, I'm getting this in the air. And I pulled it left. So I, I ended up making a bigger score than he did on that hole. That was my only blow up. Otherwise I had a pretty good outing. I shot 82, I think, which I was thrilled with. I didn't, wow. anything in the eighties. I would have been happy with it. I was very content with the way I played that day. I put it on the green on 17, hit the middle of the green spun all the way back, almost rolled off the green entirely, which, I don't play any spin, so that would have been devastating. Um, I don't know how that happened, but I was on the second cut, and I did not go up and down. So I made bogey on 17, but I stayed dry. So that was that was my goal. That's impressive. It will be a better score than a lot of players this week, and I will be gloating in their faces um, every time. <laughs> What's the line? Better, better than most? Better. <laughs> That only counts for Tiger. But um, here we are. So, so I guess it's an interesting course. There's going to be some conditions to fight through this week in that there might not be the best weather. So we're going to want to stay in tune all week and, and, and especially Wednesday night and make sure you have at least as much of an update as you can on the weather. But I think the weather might not be a factor until later in the weekend. So you might not have much choice in, in how you pick based off of that. Uh, but before we dive into things, Sia, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm well. Anytime John's on the show, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. You know, John, you are obviously the 
sort of the guy who kicks off for the most part, at least from a, a literature standpoint, the guy who kicks off everybody's golf week. So um, we appreciate you coming on the show. Anytime we have a guest like John, I'm just, I'm just happy. And, and by the way, uh, I get to draft with the audience uh, this week, which I'm actually super excited about because when we did that a few weeks ago, I think we drafted a pretty good team, which these teams I actually submit. And I encourage the audience to submit their teams too, because when I, and what I mean is that the teams that the audience, the listeners pick, because that was a good team last week, if you all recall. I believe the audience, the listeners, were the the winning team last week. They were. The audience picked a great team. The audience, I think, is also the Vegas favorite this week. They're, they're on a heater. So, um, you know, we do happen to bring in the big guns, the PGA Tout, the Golf Writer of the Year. It's going to be pretty competitive tonight in terms of who we're drafting. Yeah, well, Sia and the audience teaming up together makes it a much more robust team in general with it. So, uh, yeah, as you said, though, the audience has won twice in a row now, which I know they started the year off very slowly. They were able to just edge me out last week. Rory's implosion on the weekend didn't help me out. Um, If I would have gotten another chance on that, I really think I would have taken Victor Hovland first overall, and that would have swayed it in my direction. But yeah, the audience is on the roll right now, so we're going to try to do our best to see what we can do about that. And, and Spence, correct me if I'm wrong, but is the audience going for the first ever DraftCast 3P? I Ooh. believe so. I'll have to double check that. I believe I won twice and then came in second once, and then I think that's the best that's been done so far. Oh, okay, Spencer, just answer the question. We didn't need, <laughs> I almost did it, but I came in second one of the three times. Just yeah, sometimes no, you have to humble totally brag about it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, before we dive into the draft, of course, we got to get the best course breakdown in the biz. Spence, what are you looking for at Sawgrass this week? Yeah, so TPC Sawgrass has always been a challenging course to handicap. You don't have to look any further than the erratic course history of every golfer in the field to realize the volatility is heightened at the venue. But the move from May to March should provide more predictability since the facility was always best suited to be played in colder weather conditions. The sunburned temperature in May gave us a Bermuda surface that was still dormant but playable from the winter and created this fiery test that made stopping your irons on these smaller than average greens nearly impossible. I do want to make it clear that the fast lightning surface that we have become accustomed to over the years will still be in play. But more of where I'm going with this is that the Bermuda grass gets overseeded on all parts of the course, creating much softer landing areas that allow shot shaping and control with your irons. Their water on 17 uh, holes, 88 bunkers are put into place to cause havoc. And while the rough is anything but penal, the peat dye nature will cause a handful of forced layups for the field. Golfers that can be creative, salvage par, avoid critical mistakes and control their irons will be most equipped to find success at this grueling test. And I will very quickly run through my model this week to highlight what I looked at um, for the tournament. I started with weighted tee to green for 20%. That's a combination of 24% off the tee, 55% approach and 21% around the green. The approach number took into account a redistribution of proximity distances from all shots And I combined those three totals to get the weighted tee to green stat. Um, I have started to lean towards this becoming a second shot course above all else where pristine iron players or high GIR percentage candidates have a massive advantage. I did seven and a half percent on strokes gain total at TPC courses and 10% on strokes gain total at par 72s under 7,200 yards. Those are more course specific numbers for us to try and get around some of the unpredictability. 
I did 10% on birdie or better plus bogey avoidance. I took 70% birdie or better, mixed it with 30% bogey avoidance there. Weighted scrambling 15%. This is a hodgepodge of information thrown into a concocted random model. That included par four scoring from 450 to 500 yards. And, and by the way, some of this isn't quite scrambling in a nutshell. Uh, strokes gain in the wind, scrambling, sand save percentage, three putt avoidance an extra layer of proximity and bogey avoidance that I added and a little bit more around the green to that mix. 10% on fast to lightning greens. That was a split between strokes gain total on fast greens and strokes gain putting on fast greens. Par five birdie or better percentage. I mean, this is a self-explanatory one on a par 72. And then I wrapped it up with 12 and a half percent on ball striking. That was a 50-50 split of distance and good drives gain to form total driving. And then a 65-35 split in favor of GIR percentage over total driving to get the ball striking marks there. There it is. The best breakdown you're going to get. Use that. That's going to help in terms of how you're picking guys, um, how to find an edge at certain price points where you're, you might be unsure. Um, it is super helpful. And we're going to dive into the draft. We have a, we have a fun draft tonight. Um, Sia is going to draft with the audience, um, because the audience won last week. It's hard for us to get you guys to pick the order. So we deferred to Spencer. Spencer picked the order and Spencer, of course, is going to pick first again. <laughs> um, but wait, let's hold on. Wait for it. There it is. Um, I'm going to pick second. Tout's going to pick third and Sia and the audience are going to go fourth. So Sia and audience, when it's your pick. Um, audience, give your nominations as you always do. Sia is going to make the final pick. Uh, but you, since you're going last and you have back-to-back -back picks, you can put a bunch of nominations out there so um, you'll have an opportunity to get both picks in. Any questions, tout on the draft, the draft style? I know this is your first draft. I want to make sure you're prepared. Uh, I think it goes without saying that I am I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm seeing this draft week in and week out. It's the most popular draft on Twitter week in and week out. So uh, I think it needs no introduction. I'm ready to draft. Let's get the ball rolling. Hey, well, we're going to cut that up and make sure we post it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And with that being said, Spencer, you're on the clock. So – I've gone a lot of different routes with the first pick in these drafts. I've gone to the bottom of the board. I've started at the top of the board. Um, there are two players that I am very close between on what to do. And if you've read my work this week, this might be a different route than you were expecting me to go. But I'm just going to keep this simple. Um, I'm going to take John Rahm at 11,100, I think. He's the best person in this tournament. Now, There, I would like to talk about this a little bit later. We can have a discussion with a couple other players that certainly have a case to be made for that. I'm sure they're probably going to get picked at some point, but I'm just going to keep it simple. Rom at 11,100. Okay, I, I, let me just jump in. I, I, not, I obviously love that pick. I have him in uh, the first cut, one and done. And, and, I, and I do think if he turns his around the green game and or putting around just from the last four tournaments or so. And when I say turn around, I, I don't mean, you know, go from, you know, minus three strokes gain to, you know, plus three. I just mean like being average there. The way the ball striking is going for John Rahm. I mean, he's been terrible with the putter and around the green, and he's still top 20 every tournament. If he is just decent around the green or with the putter, I mean, I think it's a situation where I think there's maybe a handful of guys that could potentially run away with this thing. I think John Rahm's one of them. 
He's averaging over 10 shots with his ball striking over the last handful of tournaments. And as you said, if the short game can just turn around, I think that that recipe is certainly in order where he runs away with this tournament. Hey, Joel, before you make your pick, I do I do want to ask John really quick because I'm pretty sure John, otherwise known as PGA Tout, is with a different outfit than he was when he was on with us last time. John, can you, cause, cause Spencer mentioned it, what, where we can find his work. And most people know that, you know, it's Roto Baller, it's Wind Daily Sports, it's Be The Number Pod, it's the Better Golf Podcast. But John, there might be a few people in this world, and I do emphasize few, that might not know exactly where to find your work. So could you please tell us that? Yeah, maybe I should talk to those guys about getting me some merch or something, like a, a hoodie or something to, to rep I mean, the brand. Cause this is just a... I don't know. I think this is Express, which is not where I work. Um, <laughs> I uh, write for The Lines, thelines.com. I put all my previews and final thoughts articles there. And then uh, as part of the same um, parent company, if you will, uh, my my values articles where I kind of talk up my favorite uh, 7K, 6K guys each week for DraftKings. That goes up on playpicks.com. And then all of my tweets can be found at PGA Tout on Twitter. Nice. All right. I'll get a side back here. I got a lot of real estate over here for the branding. You are one of the best follows on Twitter. So you haven't already, you should go give them a follow. And then while you're at it, you can just follow all of us because it's helpful. Maybe even give it a like. That's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, like us on YouTube right now, please. That would actually be really yeah, helpful absolutely. circulating this show around right now. Yeah, for sure. You can even share it if you want, and that'll be no problem. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> for my pick, I'm going to take a different route with it tonight. So, um, for me, I, I'm really adamant about my roster construction this week. I think that's the key to winning and it's about six golfers, right? This is, you know, DFS isn't about picking the winner, picking the winner helps, but it's about having six guys that compete. And I want to have a really balanced team of guys that are competing in the top 10 to top 15. And to do so, I want to nail my mid range to lower range guys. So with that being said, my first pick is going to be Abraham answer. Wow. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Abraham answered uh. at 7,600. Because um, I know there's plenty of guys up top that I like. And if I miss on one of them or if you, if you get them, I'm okay with that. There's other guys in the top tiers that I'll be happy with. But Abraham answer is going to be a core piece to my lineup, most of my lineups this week. What a terrible turn of events for me that was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, let, okay. I, I have to ask you something before John makes his pick, though, because – you know, answer didn't pop super well for me in spite of the ball striking because that short game, the around the green game isn't isn't great. And I know, Spencer, you talked about sort of the weighted scrambling you had in your model. And But let me just start with you, Joel. Like, is that a concern of yours? Abraham answers short game. I understand this could be a ball strikers course, but, you know, with the conditions and with the smaller greens, John, I kind of like your take on this, too. Are guys like Abraham answer? Are, are you worried about the short game or you just think, hey, they're they're going to find the green regulation anyway. So I'm not super worried about it. So for me, there's a few things. His short game is not premier. I don't think it's weak either. I think he's more middle of the ground, which I'm okay with. And another thing to realize is a lot of these elite ball strikers that we're comparing him to aren't great around the green players. I think the more elite around the green players are typically not the ball strikers, not the guys that we find in this elite range. So I think comparatively to the other guys that are in my player pool, I think he, he rates out fine in his short game, and it's not something that concerns me. 
Yeah, I was all over him last year at the players, and he was a very popular play last year, much more popular than he is this year. He's always been great on die. Pick any die course. He has great history there. Um, and two top 25 finishes here. So definitely fits the course well. And you would think long-term that he should regress to, to being better on the around the green game. I like guys who struggle around the green more from like an outright perspective because if they're on, you don't have as much to worry about getting up and down. Maybe they're hitting more greens. Um, and if he's doing that, then, you know, he's going to be scary. So good price for him this week. And he usually is chalky. I don't know if he is like kind of trending that way this week. He might have like pretty normal ownership, which is rare for Abe. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing, I don't know what you see, Joel. I see like 9% on him. I think that's perfectly acceptable. We've seen tournaments where he's in the $9,000 range and he's like 30% owned. I, I know this is a much stronger field than those tournaments, but Number one in my model in good drives gained, I think that either either be elite in the good drives gained or be elite with the distance. I think that opens up a lot. 15th in birdie or better plus bogey avoidance. And then when I take like, uh, just combine it, I didn't do it for my model, but Pete Dye courses, strokes gain in the wind, uh, TPC courses, under 7,200 yards on par 72s. Obviously some of that got combined in the model, not all of it together. He's ninth in this tournament, and he's really the one true outlier that I had when looking at it that way. So I love the answer pick. Um, that was going to be my next pick if I got back, if he got back down to me at the uh, 204 there. But I mean, great well, pick from Joel. I don't really know what else to say. Spencer, the, the audience agrees with you and disagrees with you in the sense that, okay, so Joel off the top rope from Model Maniac. Thanks for watching, as always. He'll be on the show soon, too, by the way, or back on the show, I should say. Ivan, Joel already has the winning team. Danny says, somebody hacked Joel. <laughs> and then finally, Nathan says, nice pick, Joel. I think I'm in the more hacked Joel range. I don't think answer is going to make my pool, but I can't deny the ball striking and, and you know, being good on die, it, it does make sense. He just he just didn't rate out super well for me, as it turns out. Yeah, I have an outright ticket on him. I have a top 30 ticket. Um, he's just a guy I'm trying to get exposure to in a lot of different markets this week. Fair enough. John, we've stalled long enough for you. It's your pick, my friend. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go a, a more traditional route where uh, I want to get the chalk guys out early while they're still there. Mm -hmm. Um so I'm going to start my team with Colin Morikawa, who is going to be my one-and-done pick this week. Um, I am in the gutter in one-and-done, but I was also in the gutter this time last year, and I picked Justin Thomas in this tournament. And the purse here can really, like, it basically doesn't matter what you did before this week if you hit the winner this week. So yep. I think you got to roll your horses out. I like John Rom too, as a one-and-done pick if you're going to go that route, but um it's an approach course it's short it's positional um you know column workout plays great pretty much everywhere but we saw him at, at harbor town and colonial these are the sorts of positional courses that that he thrives on and um he's not really giving anything back to the the field in terms of distance which is always going to be helpful for him um i worry maybe a little bit about as we were saying just before the short game like around the games around the green specifically um, that's a concern. These, these bunkers are very complex. I'm intimately familiar with most of them. Um, and they are tricky to get out of It's <laughs> They're like tiny, tiny pop bunkers that like you're not standing in the bunker and you're making weird stances to hit out of them. So you need touch here. And I maybe worry a little bit about that, but when you're starting here, you are hoping for the scenario where he is elite. Uh, Colin doesn't miss many greens, um, and is sparingly trying to scramble. 
Um, I'm encouraged by the putter. The last three measured rounds he has gained. So um, I don't think he'll ever lose strokes again putting. Um, <laughs> that's what the numbers are telling me. So I have to believe that. Um, and if he gains putting, he is uh, going to be scary. Um, he has not the best debut at the players, but um, looked fine. I think I believe he shot the low round of the day um last year on sunday his last time here so he figured something out and he was in the top 10 after the first round in 2020 before it was uh shut down so i like the way he stacks up here i'm happy to start my card there i know he's gonna be chalky and in gpps i don't know how much i'll play for him but in a four-man pool i will take colin all right. I don't think anybody's really going to argue with that pick. Let me ask you, um, whoever's looking at ownership right now, uh, is Colin, like, who, who are, like, the top three or four guys right now? Is Colin in that in that range in terms of ownership? Yeah, let me, uh, I can, let me just sort this the correct way, and I can give you the exact order I have. And the I audience, think I've while seen you do, Fitz and Berger are the top two. I think Colin's, like, a top five ownership guy right now. Yeah, so the numbers I have a um, little different. Berger one, Morikawa two, Thomas three, Fitzpatrick four, uh, Cantley five, Rom six. Okay, but I but like with that being said, I, I have no issues with the Morikawa play. I think everything John said makes complete sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially the, the part hot. where yeah. he won't ever lose putting again. I think people are forgetting <laughs> that, but he he will never look back. I think That's it's a true. really good point that you brought up. People forget the 2020 tournament didn't, you know, ended after round one. And a lot of that course history get, just gets thrown out the window there. So um, not that one round or one extra round necessarily makes it more likely that he finds success. But he looked good on Sunday last year playing this tournament. He looked good in round one in 2020. If you can just throw all of that in together for four rounds, he has a very strong chance to win this event. Probably one of the two or three strongest chances. So it looks like the audience might have already nominated two guys because obviously the audience slash me have back-to-back picks. I'm curious if anybody else wants to throw a name in the hat, but I got to say two guys have nominations already. And so I think we just have to go with that. One is a guy that, you know, we might think is going to be, I don't know, mispriced in a month. And that's Brooks Kepka. You know, he'd been fighting off a knee injury late last year, middle of last year. And we kind of don't really know where, it turned when he turned completely healthy, but he has been trending pretty well lately. So I think, you know, he's shaken off the knee injury and maybe back to form. So, uh, you know, in DraftKings at 8,600, that is his, his price, right? 8,600. Yes. Um, it's, you know, obviously there's value there. And speaking of value, the other guy, the audience nominated, and we've got some more names that have come in. So uh, let's just wait until we uh, we get to pick again, and maybe some of those names will still be there. But um, the other guys, another guy that might be mispriced, actually is definitely mispriced because pricing came out before this guy won the API. It was, Scott, it was Scotty Scheffler. I think if pricing comes out after the API, instead of 9,200, he's probably like 9,900, 9,700, maybe even a flat 10,000 or something like that. So you know, there's always that concern, you know, does he let his foot off the gas after, you know, just winning a very hard tournament, a very difficult um, tournament in terms of just like the ups and downs of it. But with that said, 9,200 for a guy who's playing arguably better than anybody right now, maybe that's not even an argument if you, if you cure the sample size to like three or four weeks. So I don't mind that pick at all. So we'll start with Brooks. We'll start with Scotty and we'll go from there. 
I, and Jonathan, it's now back to you. Okay. Um, my next guy, I'll, I, I think I have to go with uh, the guy I wrote up in my spotlight this week because I, I probably had the most kind things to say to, about him. And um, those were the only two guys I bet up until this afternoon. I had a hard time pulling the trigger on anybody else. So that's going to be Sung J M. Um, we are in the M swing still in Florida. He he knows his days are numbers. He needs to capitalize on the Florida swing because once we get out of Florida, we don't know um, unless we're in the desert where he's also randomly good at. I don't understand why, but great in deserts. Um, Sungjae had two rounds of 66 or better um, at the last players. He finished T17. He had one blow-up day where he shot 78. That happens here. If you can't avoid the blow-ups, you're not going to contend. Uh, if you can avoid the blow-ups, you're in good shape. Um, and he's one of the sh- most consistent off the tee players in this field. I think he's gained over a stroke in five or six consecutive uh, rounds off the tee. So um, I'm not going to read too much into the stats from the API. Uh, it, was, it was just an ugly, you know, th- playing in conditions that strokes gained is not really even accounting for. Um, so I, I don't read too much into it, but I was encouraged enough by what I saw. And he has that all-around game. You want to be positive in all four categories of off-the-tee approach around the green and putting uh, whenever you play against a field like this in in somewhat difficult conditions. So good all-around player trending in the right form, I think, has a win recently. And I think he makes sense on this course. It would not surprise me to see him win here. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. And just to throw it out there, I don't have the numbers in front of me for the API I had exposure to him in a lot of different markets last week, so it's one of the things I noticed with him. But the game looked really good, I want to say. He just really had one bad day where it kind of all fell apart. But for the most part, um, I-, I thought he looked fine in most facets of his game. And it seemed like last week uh, almost everybody had a day where they fell apart. Yeah. I mean, that was the course yeah. where it was tough. So I, you can almost you can excuse that for, for a lot of guys because of the conditions. Uh, nice pick. I agree. For me, I'm going to stick to my theme of value. I still think there's plenty of guys up top I can pay for. You're going to uh, do it again. I know you're going <laughs> to do it again. That is the plan. I am defensively drafting. Knowing you took Rom, I can wait to pay up with my next pick. So with my next pick, I'm going to take Matthew Fitzpatrick at 7,700. Mm. Um, Matthew Fitzpatrick's been playing great as of recently. His form has been outstanding. He has three top tens in the last three outings that he's had. He doesn't have a glaring weakness. I mean, you might say it's around the green game, but it's definitely not something that's super weak. I think he has shown his ability to play well with his around the green game. So I think, you know, starting off here with two, I think, plus golfers in the mid to 7K range allows me to build a really balanced lineup to get all top 15s or or 10s if I can. Yeah, I think that I think Fitzpatrick is one. I think there's like four or five guys, maybe more, but four or five guys for me that are going to be in my player pool that are just extremely good value. And Fitzpatrick is definitely one of those guys. I mean, the ball striking again, smaller sample size, just going back to, let's say, February, the last three tournaments. But the ball striking is incredible. And then he's gaining around the green and he's gaining significantly with the putter. I mean, it just putting that together here at that price, it just doesn't make sense not to take him, other than the fact that he will be pretty popular. Yeah, he's all of a sudden become one of the best par five scorers in the world too, which um, not that he was ever terrible at it, but like 
as everybody knows that listens, I run my model much, much longer than the average person. So some of these stats don't necessarily get caught in my model at the time. But when I was updating it on Sunday night, I noticed that Fitzpatrick just in multiple areas that I wouldn't necessarily think him to be an excellent fit. He seems to be doing really well lately and the results keep trending in that direction too. So Spencer, now uh, you get back-to-back picks here. I got I to gotta think you're going to get a couple guys you want here. Well, I'll tell you this. On the contrary to what Joel just said, I don't know if this is a player he wanted. Maybe I'm going a little bit higher than uh, what he thinks I'm going to do. But I have three guys that were much above everybody else in this field. So one is Colin Morikawa. You know, I can't go there. One is John Rahm. Can't go there. I already have him. The third is Justin Thomas. And um, I'm going to assume that wasn't your pick, Joel, by your face there. So I might (laughs) have let you off the hook with that. But uh, I really like Thomas. I know that there's this stigma that you can't go back to back in this tournament. Guys that play it again don't do well after the year they win. But I'm not a person that believes in trends. Like he is top five in all iterations of how I ran my model in every single stat. I think this is the perfect course fit for him and i'm just gonna go boom or bust with this lineup it's already a volatile course i'm kind of just gonna accept the volatility and i think that's a way to get unique so uh thomas will be my first pick and then i am gonna take a guy that has missed four of his last five cuts at this tournament but he comes into this week with excellent form and i'm gonna read off just a couple stats that i like so 16th in weighted tee to green. He's ninth in strokes gained tee to green over his last 24 rounds. He's 10th at TPC properties, 22nd in weighted scrambling, 21st in the birdie or better plus bogey avoidance. Uh, the proximity numbers in the GIR percentage puts him in the top five of my model. Uh, the weighted proximity is going to look really good. And if we go back a little bit further than those four missed cuts, there are two top, I believe, 25 finishes that creep into the mix. And I know, and we all know that this guy runs hot and cold. And I think he's right now at the top level of his game. I'm going to take Russell Henley at 7,400. Wow. Wow. Okay. He certainly rated out really well for me. I I think I looked at the course history and I, and I thought, okay, maybe he just doesn't have an eye for this course. So, but I I get the pick for sure. Yeah. Sorry, Joel. What did you say? No, I'm just agreeing. I think Henley's an interesting pick here because he graded out so well. He doesn't really have a weakness with a solid all-around game and the you know low 7K range. I think that's a, that's a solid pick considering your, your first two. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. plan originally, because I thought I could get Justin Thomas later, I was going to go answer and Henley and try to lock those two up. But with answer off the board, I decided just lock up Thomas. Don't give you a chance um, just in case that was the route you were going to go. Well, I definitely don't dislike the Thomas pick. I, I he was definitely someone that was on is on my radar this week. But the guy I was targeting for my next pick and who I'm locking in, coming off an epic Sunday collapse, he's coming for vengeance this week. Daniel Berger. Mm. And again, it's another guy who I have as a top tier golfer. I'm again, I'm getting a bit of a discount in the 8K range. If it's the high 8K range, but this is someone who can definitely, I believe, win the tournament. And it still allows me to keep this lineup balanced with guys who, again, I'm looking for all guys who I think are capable to get that 10, top 10, top 15 range. Uh, we saw Berger for three days, two weeks ago, look like the best golfer in the tournament. 
and then epically collapse on Sunday. I'm hoping that he comes back this week with a vengeance. Yeah, he's pretty massively a favorite on a lot of the sharp books in his head-to-head matchups. I think that goes to show that $8,800 is a little too cheap for him. I Obviously, yeah. I think that the public is picking up on that also, but uh, he's not a guy I'm going to remove from my pool. There's just too many things to like about him. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, approach monster as well, so that, yeah. that certainly helps here. Yeah, I think I've seen he's got some sort of reputation as not showing up in big events, but he has two top tens here within the last five years. And I believe he has a few other top tens and majors under his belt too. Pretty solid in the Ryder Cup too. So I feel like this environment is actually, it should play well for Berger and he's home in Florida. Um, you know, popular play this week, but uh, I think it, I think it's, that's more a function of the, uh, the price being a little lower than it really should be. So I, I love the value on burger this week. Yeah. Right. All right, Tout. It's back to you, my friend. All right. I am going to go. I have placed three bets today uh, through today or through right now. This is the third. I bet the first two guys on my card. I don't always construct my DFS lineups this way, but it just so happened to work out this way. Uh, Jason Kokrak is going to wow. be my next pick. I, he slipped all the way down to 120 to one from a betting perspective. I was shocked to see that this guy has a ton of win equity, uh, put some respect on the QBE shootout. People do not want to, <laughs> people don't want to talk about the QBE shootout. My man actually got kind of carried by Kevin on that tournament, but regardless, he won that. He, um, he won the Houston open in difficult conditions. The, the uh, I guess you could say with both Colin and uh, Kokrak, we're going to like the ball striking and be a little bit concerned about the around the green game. Um, again, if he wins or if he plays well, he shouldn't have to worry as much about the, the short game and just sort of mitigate uh, the damage if he does miss the greens. But had a T9 here at the players last year. You would think of Kokrak as more of like a bomb and gouge, longer course guy, but um, you know, in my research, I just keep really going back to colonial too, uh, where he won and that is positional rewards. Um, you know, just putting yourself in the right position on your first tee shot, uh, and then just strong iron play. Um, Kokrak has good, good, good irons, pretty reliable off the tee should be able to control that ball. Um, right. Rates out pretty well and good drives gained. So, um, and, and he's putting it better than he ever has in the past. He's always been pretty solid at sawgrass tee to green. It's the putter that's let him down. Now he's transformed into one of the better putters on tour. So I think this lines up good for him. 7,300 is, is really low of a price, but there's so many popular guys that low that I actually don't think he'll be incredibly high owned despite the value. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think Kokrak has really been mentioned uh, in a lot of the things that I've seen. And, and you're right. He certainly has what you'd think would be win equity, even, even in this tournament. I mean, it might be slight relative to most tournaments, but um, Kokrak, I mean, listen, in that 7,300, 7,200, 7,000 range, there's a lot of guys that are being mentioned. He, he genuinely isn't one of them. I think that's a pretty sharp play to get off some of the um, potential chalk in that range. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. We have a bunch of picks that have come in. Uh, one of them has gotten a second nomination and I, I am going to bless it as well, even though he's not really in my player pool, but I don't necessarily have a great reason for it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. We're, we're still waiting on nominations, but one guy has been properly nominated, and it is Corey Connors, oh. uh, who does give you some price relief here, obviously. 
the, I, I think the problem I had with him is that I had kind of an emphasis on around the green game and he didn't rate out very well there. Uh, I will say this though, in 2021, he had a top 10 finish, finishing seventh. And in 2020, 41st, uh, recent form looks pretty good. 11th at the API prior to that, he wasn't great miscut at the Genesis 38th at the waste management. And then, uh, you know, another miscut at the farmers, but all that aside, we know he's a good ball striker. And if the short game is in hand, I think Corey Connors has plenty of value. Like I said, in that 7,300 range, 7,200, 7,100, 7,000, there is a lot of value there. So um, while I wait for another nomination, guys, keep them coming in. Uh, anybody have any particular thoughts on Corey Connors? Yeah, I, I do have something that I want to mention to that. Obviously, I was a little disgruntled that he didn't make it back to me. But uh, if you look at his matchups this week at, at a lot of the credible books, the offshore books, that is, he's matched up against Louis Oosthuizen. He's matched up against Joaquin Neiman. These are $8,000 $8, golfers, and he's not just matched up against them like, you know, he's th like just there. He's minus 130 against Ustase, and he's a pretty big number against Neiman also. So wow. um, I might have made a mistake and flipped it incorrectly. Maybe I should have gone Connors and, and Henley could have fallen back with it. But I love the Connors pick. That's a massive mispricing in my opinion. It does seem like a, a bit of a misprice. All right, so it looks like the second pick is going to be between Max Homa and Gary Woodland. So anybody want to just throw their hat in in the audience to determine which one of those two guys we are going to pick? Charlie mentioned Max Homa. Danny mentioned Woodland. Any more nominations for either of those two? If not, I'll just go ahead and pick. All right, let's go with Max Homa. I, I, think, I think Max Homa has... Again, you know, limited win equity, but win equity nonetheless. And I think he's playing really well. So I think at the price, you're definitely getting a bargain here at 7,500. Uh, it allows us to do a little bit more with our our fifth and sixth picks. So I'm perfectly fine with Max Homier. I think we got I think we've got a really good team so far with plenty of upside. Yeah, I, I would agree. All right, John, back to you. Okay, I'm gonna go uh, pretty much the same uh, like archetype of player that Spencer drafted in Russell Henley, where the form is spectacular, the fit in theory makes so much sense for this course. The results are garbage. Um, he has three missed cuts in his last four appearances, and he's never finished better than top sixty since 2015 which is not great, and that's why he's $7,500 for uh, really a, a better pedigree player than anybody else around him. Wrong Australian, by the way. Oh, oh okay. Um, and he has a streak of 13 consecutive made cuts. He has not missed a cut since the Open Championship. Um, I'm going with my boy Mark Leishman. I think uh, it doesn't make sense to me why he doesn't have better course history here. The tee to green game has been pretty solid the last few years. He cannot put on these greens the last couple of years. The putter looks good. I expect that to turn around. Um, I was so like perplexed by the history that I actually like Googled like interviews of Mark Leishman at this course. <laughs> and he's like, I don't get it either. This place makes sense. <laughs> I, will, I like to work the ball around. I don't need to hit driver. I'm not great with driver. I can club down and, and pick my shots. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out. But going back to this 2020 narrative, he shot five under in that one round we had in 2020. He was top five, and then the tournament ended. So I think there's upside. He can do well here. 
some might even say he's due. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because Mark Leishman let a lot of people down last week, including myself, because his weekend was just really, truly horrible. But with that said, you know, because of that, nobody's really going to be on him. And I mean, I don't know if the weekend went a little bit different for Mark Leishman, maybe his, well, I guess his price wouldn't have been different because pricing came out early, but I think he probably deserves to be, you know, the way he was ball striking it before the API, he was, he was really crushing it. I, not just in the ball striking department, the short game too. So I think that's a really sharp play that not a lot of people are going to be on. You know, yeah. One I, other thing I'll add to, there's a narrative of, API kick the crap out of people and they're going to be limping into this tournament and mentally exhausted. I would argue that Mark Leishman played himself out of that so early that he <laughs> was already moved on to the players by Sunday and he was just kind of going through the motions. Maybe a guy like Gary Woodland, who maybe it was smart not to draft him. Maybe he's, he's, he's coming off of that week hungover, like, Oh my God, I should have won this thing. And it, it, it still kicked my ass in the end. So I don't know. I, I think Mark Leishman, he blew up so early that he had already moved on. And I don't expect as much of a hangover from him this week. I like it. Yeah, all jokes aside on the, the Leishman and the other Australian thing, I, I do think that there is a contrarian route to take where he's sub 5%. He's one of the biggest climbers in my model when looking for pure upside, which is kind of what John is talking about that. You get a goal for that for whatever reason it hasn't fit here, but it doesn't make sense why it hasn't. So if he can put it together, you you get a guy with real win equity, whatever you want to call it, on um, a guy who's seventy five hundred and going to be sub five percent owned. Yeah, makes sense. I like it, Joel. It's on you. All right. Well, being back on the clock, I, I got. I'm deciding between two guys. I'm trying to be strategic. I, I've planned out my draft. I know who I want. So now I'm trying to figure out who do I take defensively. And I think my pick has got to be someone who's coming in with some piping hot form. Um, someone who's been in his last five tournaments, his worst finish is T for 26, tied for 13 last week, 16 the week before that, and tied for second. Cameron Young. Whoa. Uh, All right. Cameron Young's a young guy, you know, and this is a, this is a much different field than he's been competing in. But he leads everyone currently in strokes gained off the tee. Um, he does have a pretty balanced game. And again, for someone in the low 7K range, I think he allows me to finish off my lineup pretty strongly as I plan to do. Yeah, I mean, let's just look at the ball striking. His last, I don't know, five tournaments. Gained 4.41, 6.71, 9.87, 3.63, 6.86. Around the green game has failed him a little bit, but he generally makes up for it with the putter. You're not going to find much by way of better ball striking than that. This guy, he's the type of guy that, you know, in other sports where a guy's so young, he doesn't really even understand the pressure of the moment. Like he's like, he's he just hasn't thought of it. So he's not like stunned by it. Cameron Young seems like that guy. We thought maybe two or three tournaments ago that he was going to be like, all right, he's going to realize where he's at, the competition he's up against, and he's just going to crash and burn. And it's been sort of the opposite of that. So, yeah, again, that low 7K range has so much value in it. Obviously, not all those guys are going to do well, but Cameron Young, the way he's hitting it, uh, there's not much by way of an argument against him other than the fact that he hasn't played this course before. If you want to give him a knock for that, at least not competitively, he hasn't. I'm sure he's been on this course before, but – I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for that. Um, but other than that, I think that's a great pick. 
Yeah, I, I, I like the Cameron Young pick also. I think that it's one of those things where his game is much better than the, like, we don't realize how good he might actually be, I guess is where I'm trying to go with that. Yep, that's right. We might be talking, like, I don't know, like, this sounds ridiculous now, but all statements, all statements like the one I'm about to say are going to sound ridiculous. Like, we don't know that he's not going to be Victor Hovland in two years. We, uh, I don't know, like the way he's hitting it right now, it's not like it's like a two tournament sample size that we're going off of. I mean, he's been really, really good. Uh, T13, T16, like Joel said, T2. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah and, yeah. and even if he doesn't get that high, I mean, he could be, I mean, this is still a great player. He could be Will Zalatoris of what we've yeah. seen. So there's a, a really high ceiling for him. Yeah, I think before the Genesis, he seemed like this sort of Wyndham Clark profile where he bombed it and he could put the put the lights out, but you weren't really sure about the approach and the wedges. And then he looked great at at, um, at the Genesis, and it was like, oh, this guy's better than Wyndham Clark. Um, I kind of compare him to Jason Kokrak right now, actually, uh, where his, uh, his Achilles heel is kind of like his bunker play, and that's mm. basically it. Like, everything else looks really good. The approach comes and goes. He's definitely not an approach specialist, but he can get it going. And his his driver just gives him such an advantage and he can really get streaky with the putter. So always uh always got to look out for it for sure. We got some we got some Zalatoris shade here coming from Charlie. Cameron Young will win before Willie Z. I mean, I don't think it's a ridiculous statement. I mean, it's golf anyway, like anything can happen, but uh yeah, maybe. I don't know. Wake um, Forest roommate narrative. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Nice. Um all right, who are we on? Spencer, you got back-to-back picks. This is tough. So this is where I was planning to go. Corey Connors, um, you know, in reality, with the way that I was kind of trying to construct this right now, it, it puts me into the range where I can afford a $7,500 golfer, which, I mean, we know which Australian sitting there at $7,500. I hope somebody takes them. It's unfortunately not going to be me this week, but uh, just throwing that good juju out there that somebody takes day, but it's between one of three guys. Um, the first one, I'm a little worried about his ownership. Really like him this week. I don't know what the upside is. Uh, at the end, if he's not picked, uh, I'll try to remember to mention him because I did this when Jason Sobel was on the show and I took Michael Thompson. I was like, oh, there's another $7,400 golfer guy that I did not take. And it was Sepp Straka, of course. So uh, <laughs> I forgot to mention that at the end. So uh, I do want to mention these two guys. Um, the other one might be a little bit too volatile. So I think I'm going to play it safe with the way that my roster is right now, if you can call it safe. And I'm going to take Sergio Garcia at 7,400. Really like the course history for him. I think he's riding into the tournament in, in relatively good enough form. And his off the tee game is so spectacular that if he can just get hot in different facets of his game, we know that, or at least my model seems to think that anytime you put him at a course, that's a par 72, that's shorter. That's where he finds a little bit more of his success. He's a great par five scorer, which is why I think he's found success here. And the ball striking is just phenomenal. So um, the way to proximity is going to have to be better than what it is in my model. That's the one big concern I have. That's the one big concern that I had with Jason Day of why I didn't take him all. So I just think Sergio's a little safer. Um, for the second pick on the turn here, I want to make sure that I don't uh, leave myself with some weird salary that I can't do anything around. So I think that the safest, 
Ah, let, let, hold on one second. Let me see what happens if I take somebody else. If one of you guys want to talk about the Sergio pick, uh, get back to me on the second pick. So for, for whatever reason, Sergio's not in my pool. I, I do like the history here. I think his recent form is okay. I just, and this is this is so non, you know, this isn't a real take, but I just picture him being on the cut line and having to make like a, a seven footer on Thursday or excuse me, Friday. And I just feel like Sergio always puts me in that place. And I just don't want to be there this weekend. So what baffles my mind is at the Arnold Palmer last week, Sergio gained five strokes putting and lost five strokes on approach, which is like bizarro world Sergio because he can't putt and he's a great ball striker. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like something to tell like he's going to get it right this week. And like I could see he turns it around and he makes some putts and he plays great. Or I could see if he's not striking the ball well, if he loses five strokes on approach, I just don't see him competing. Yeah. Yeah, first round leader last year too, and then he he sort of went in neutral the rest of the the round. I really liked Sergio last week as a pivot off of Mitchell at the same price, and they were both kind of mediocre. But uh, I, I would like to see a little bit better form on, on the approach. I think that's a trend that we're seeing from the winners of this event. At least I don't know about top twenty or uh, you know top thirty finishers, but the winners have been coming in a, in good approach form, and we know that's the strength of Sergio's game. And for whatever reason, recently it's not there, but you're getting a good. Uh, discount on him because of it yeah that's that was my mentality with Sergio I just think that the price tag is a little bit lower than it should be for all the reasons that John just brought up but uh, I have decided what I'm going to do um, once again I'm gonna bypass this guy a second time I, I'll have him in different parts of the market um, but I am gonna go with Sebastian Munoz at 6700 I really like where his form has been trending in the last couple weeks. So four straight top 39 finishes in a row. Let's exclude the API for one second. With his ball striking, he was averaging over five strokes per tournament uh, off the tee plus approach. Even if we look last week, he gained in all iterations across the board other than putting. This is a surface now. I know he's a bad putter in general. I'm not necessarily expecting this to turn around, but it's a really smooth surface. I think that this might give him his best chance with the way he's striking the ball. So um, I think 6,700 is a little, or I guess a lot too cheap in reality. I think he should be a mid $7,000 golfer at this point. And ownership sees that a little bit. He's going to be about six to 7%. That puts him in the range of like John's boy Mito. I think that they're going to be two of the more popular plays when you look down in this range, but I just really like Munoz this week for the upside that I think he does bring. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I think in that range, there's, there's a few guys I have my eye on. Uh, Sebastian isn't one of them, but then again, I don't usually end up playing him. Mito is one of them. Joel Dahman is another Aaron Wise and Dylan Fratelli, just right in that 6,700, 6,600 range. Uh, real quick, before we get to Joel's picks, do any of you like any of those four names I just mentioned? I'm going to take that as a no. Um, <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm staying quiet until until oh, Joel. Oh, whoops. Time. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I'm uh, that's table talk. That's your classic table talk, which I should not be engaging in. Um, I only brought it up because I didn't think there would be a lot of people picking in that range, but uh, it's a good point. So, Joel, it's your pick. Yeah, I'm no threat because obviously I have plenty of money to spend, so that's not the range I'm going to be looking at with this pick. Um, sure. <laughs> I'm going to go with someone we've been talking about recently, another young up-and-comer who has been one of the most elite ball strikers, Will Zalatoris. 
again, you know, with his ability, with how well he strikes the ball, and um, I think he has a, a pretty high floor. I think 8,900 is more than a fair price to get on him. And someone who has a lot of upside in this field and someone who can compete to win the tournament. I mean, this is like the team ball striker right here. I mean, this is ball striker narrative. I mean, Joel is playing that uh, to perfection at this point. I think it's clear what my strategy is for this week. (laughs) Right. Um, John, speaking of, it's you still have two picks left, but it sounded like, and those are going to be made, you know, you got two of the next four picks, essentially. Sounds like one of them might be dipping down into a lower range. Um, okay, go- guys, I'm going Mito. I am. I'm doing it. There it is. Um, and listen, it doesn't have to be a Mito week this week, but I'm going to make it one anyway. And and here's what I'll here's what I'll say about this, because I have a little egg on my face after I guaranteed that he would win the Honda and he had his uh, worst putting performance of his career. Um that's not great. He was top six tee to green. So he had the tools to win that week and he chose to not bring those tools to the putting surface with him, but it's okay. I, I'm encouraged by what I've seen the last couple of weeks. The tee to green form is right where it needs to be. He's top 20 on uh, approach. Nobody avoids a bogey like Mito Pereira. Uh, he's top 10 in that skill as well. Par machine. And that's going to be okay this week. If the conditions get worse, um that's even better for him i'm optimistic he'll turn the putter around before the honda he was actually the number one putter on tour over the last three months which is crazy to think about for a guy like medio Pereira. but we know that there is potential for him to hit putts um also i can't do the chilean sea bass stack um which is something that i've really wanted to do but I recently learned after Joaquin Neiman won the Genesis that all of these uh, Latin players are actually this like traveling band together and they hang out and they're best buds in real life. So Mito and Sebastian Munoz are best buddies, which is like music to my ears. These are the two guys that are on every single card that I put out every single week. So I will have some Chilean and Sebas, um combo lineups. I can't do it tonight. But uh, I'm happy to have at least one half of that duo in my lineup. Um, I think Mito is, is legitimately a good play, and I might have put him on an unofficial betting card um, if I didn't love him, but he will actually be on my official uh, betting card this week. Yeah, seems like pretty good value at that price. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I don't know that he should be higher necessarily, but uh, yeah, I, I think he could do just fine uh, in spite of the fact that he hasn't played here before. I th- I'm noticing, I don't know if you guys noticed this too, but it seems like there's a, a much more premium on course history this week than than in most. You mean in terms of what people are doing with their with their selections? I, I think like the DraftKings pricing, the guys who don't oh. have good course history are really dipping much lower than I would expect and vice versa. The guys with a good course history have a, a much higher price tag than I would expect from them. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um. All right, so we are okay. Listen, we one of our two guys. So we have two picks left. Uh, my team, really more the listeners' team, the audience team. One of them is definitely Hideki Matsuyama. We had Stewie, who was in here. Stewie, thanks for all your support as always. He's in here, literally screaming for Decky. I think he's at home, actually screaming. That's what it sounds like. Ivan says Decky. Charlie says Decky. Eric says Decky. Uh, this is apparently this is Team Decky. Decky wasn't uh, Keegan says Decky as well, and Eli Mitchell says Decky. 
Uh, that's the most nominations anybody's ever got consecutively. That's actually pretty impressive. Um, so, Joel, what does that leave us with in terms of uh, price remaining for our last yeah, guy? 7,800. 7,800. Oh, that's actually a decent amount to play with. We don't have to spend it all, but we need nominations for anybody that is 7,800 or below. While I'm looking at those, though, anybody have a take on Decky? I don't really hear his name coming up very much. Uh, in terms of like in, in that price range, people aren't really talking Decky. Any of you have him in your player pools? I'm a little indifferent on Hideki this week. Um, like I know I keep going back to this during this week of talking about head-to-head matchups of who they're priced against. Uh, but Hideki's one of his matchups I've seen is Sung M, which he is a very slight dog to Sung Jay. So I mean, if you're if you're looking at a you know an eight low eight thousand dollar golfer versus Hideki being ninety six hundred, I think there are some concerns with that. But you know, it, it's one of those things where I'm kind of just indifferent to the situation. I think Hideki makes a lot more sense when he's in the eight thousand dollar range. I, I know that we have gotten more upside from him recently, uh, but those would be my only, I guess, few concerns just to throw out there. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, so it looks like we have – it was for, – for our last guy, it was between two guys. I thought I was going to have to break the tie, but it looks like the audience broke the tie anyway. And they broke the tie with the guy that I wanted anyway. So it's Taylor Gooch. Uh, Chris Kirk was the other guy that apparently the audience wanted. Uh, I like Taylor Gooch a lot. And if you do look at the betting market, like Spencer um, talked about with uh, – I'm trying to remember who you were talking about Connors. before. Connors. Uh, Gooch is in a very similar position. Yes. If you look at his top 10, top 20 odds, his head-to-head matchups, uh, Gooch is – way further up than his uh, DFS, his DraftKings price would indicate. So uh, keep in mind, you know, he he was fifth here. He's played here twice. Uh, miscut in 2019, and he was fifth here last year, coming off a seventh at the API. Miscut at the Genesis, which is really his only bad ball striking tournament in the last few months uh, because he's been pretty spectacular otherwise. Uh, not a miss price necessarily, but whatever you want to call it, extreme value. I, I love Taylor Gucci. I'm glad he's on our team. Yeah, it's a good point that you brought up with Gooch. Him and Connors are the two guys that are just like egregiously mispriced according to the betting market. Yep, fair enough. Nice pick. I like it as well. John, with your final pick, you are on the clock. Okay, I think I have 9,600. 9,500 remaining. Okay. Um, I'm going to go uh, Team Aussie, the uh, the Zurich Classic duo, the dynamic duo. Uh, bring Cam Smith in there for a little team chemistry. We have a pretty good President's Cup team here now, as it turns out. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really – I'm not going out of my way to play Cam Smith this week, but I think the ownership is not crazy on him. Um, it's a, a very good price for, for the finishes that he's had recently – looked like the best uh, anyone could possibly golf at the Century Tournament of Champions. Um, has always looked good at Augusta, which is not the best comp to hear, but um, there, the, I think around the green is where that might be a little bit more relevant. Um, he's an around the green specialist. You want to see a guy who can gain in all four categories, as I was saying before. The driver's a little bit of a liability, but I like a course that kind of takes that out of his hands here. Um, so I think he can mitigate that a little bit. He's not going to be forced to pull driver where, where he doesn't need to. Um, that, that's really the only thing you have to be concerned about with Cam Smith really. And when the putter's going, he can, he can light it up. So, um, 
I'm happy to round out my lineup there. I think he's definitely more of like a leverage guy that I probably won't play much of him in cash, but um, I'm taking the best talent available with, with the salary I got with Cam. Yeah, he's a yeah. GPP upside play where you're hoping that he puts it together and the driving doesn't go absolutely haywire on him. Yeah, and he's one of those guys that he typically, there's a few guys in this tournament that just don't jump out in models, but end up just playing really well in some of these yeah. big tournaments. And Cameron Smith is definitely one of those guys. I, I, he's going to be in a lot of my lineups for sure. Yeah, I like it. Um, I think, again, like you said, he's, he's definitely a tournament play. I think he's a leverage guy that has higher upside than what his ownership will be. Um, but I will have to pat myself on the back in that my drafting strategy worked for, for perfection, leaving the guy that I wanted left for me at this spot, who is Xander Shoffley. Wow. Ball yep. striking. I love yep. it. Yep. So I was able to get Xander with my last pick. Um, Xander does tend to show up in big spots like this in big tournaments. He doesn't have great history here. He does have a tied for second, which was a few years ago, but does he also missed two cuts. But I like the form that he's in coming into this tournament. Um, and at this price, you know, with the with obviously the salary I left, I really like um, him to round out my squad. Yeah, just to throw it out there, if Justin Thomas wouldn't have fallen back to me, I likely would have reconstructed this and tried to grab Xander at some point uh, instead of JT. So great ball striker. I noted this on the Better Golf podcast, and, and it's something that I've seen with Xander over and over again. So when you look at his numbers, the GIR percentage is one of the best players in the field, but the proximity is never that great. And I realized this like two or three years ago for whatever reason, but when you put him on these courses with small greens, one of the things he likes to do is he plays to the center of the green. So he's very conservative. So it makes sense. Good GIR percentage, bad proximity numbers. But when you get these smaller surfaces, the putts just naturally become a little bit shorter uh, for these guys. You're not putting from 60 feet anymore. You're putting from 30 feet. And, you know, if he puts it a little bit better, all of a sudden he's within 20 feet. So uh, I think that Xander I mean, he never has historically been great in Florida. He does have the second that you mentioned a couple years ago, but this is like the ideal sort of a setup that I would anticipate him finding success at. Yeah, makes sense. So Spencer, you have the last pick. And for those of you still watching, which appears to be everybody, we'll, we'll, really quick after this, we'll do our outrights in, in our first round leaders. But I do want to say with, with Spencer only having 7,000 left, there's two guys that didn't get drafted that I'm really, really surprised. And I can tell you that if I could change the audience team just a little bit, I would have, and I'm not saying I'm right because I'm usually wrong. I, I would have taken out Decky and paid up for uh, Patrick Cantley. And then I, instead of Max Homa, who I still like, I would have had the money to pay down for Shane Lowry. It's Cantley and Lowry that I'm just really surprised didn't make it on one of these four teams. So I just kind of put that out there to, to note that um, just because they're not on these teams, it doesn't mean some of us don't like them. I think Shane Lowry's uh, value at 8,000 is pretty great. I think he's playing really well too. And then of course, Cantley doesn't have the best course history here, but certainly one of the best golfers um, on the PGA tour. So just interesting because he's 9,900. There's some value there as well. See, I hate to burst your bubble. I don't think you would have been able to do that. No, because we have money left over. Yeah, but you would have had to add 600 for Hideki, a 300 to get to Cantley from Hideki. And then right. that would have only left you 300 left. I believe Lowry is 8,000. Right. So if I take out Homa, I can pay up for Lowry. You would need uh, an initial 500. You'd only have 300. So you'd still be 200 short. 
Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I did the math wrong. Okay, well, either way, those two guys I do really I, I like Lowry more than I like Cantley, to be honest with you, from a value standpoint. But I am surprised Lowry didn't get drafted. Agreed. Especially after coming in a second and playing really well last week. Yep. Yeah, it's a good value number on him. I I've I've noticed that I mean he's gonna be very popular this week, or at least pretty popular in, in the grand scheme of things. So I was surprised he didn't get taken either. But uh for my last pick, I will round us out here uh, just to throw out the names I was considering. So uh, obviously, as I said, I kind of wanted Corey Connors at 7,300 instead of Sergio Garcia. But what I was trying to decide between is, did I want to go Sergio or did I want to go either Siwoo Kim or really just shoot this wildly and go Seamus Power at 7,200? I think this is a good bounce back spot for Seamus. He imploded on Thursday at the API and he looked completely fine on Friday. I don't think the three missed cuts in a row are quite as bad as it seems like he's going to be one to 3% owned. I think he's a fabulous contrarian option to consider. And then kind of in the same breath, when I got to the next pick, uh, it was either going to be power and uh, Thomas Peters or Munoz and the player that I ended up taking. And I just thought that a lineup of power, Peters, Sergio Henley was a little too volatile. So I did the next best thing and probably made it even more volatile on top of that. So it makes no sense. Uh, I'm going to take Keegan Bradley. It's Keegan Munoz, Sergio Henley. That's waiting like for an implosion to happen, but give me Roman Thomas. And if those guys can get it going and make a bunch of birdies and make the cut, I'm going to take my chances there. Uh, my model continues to really like Keegan. He's gained T to green in 30 of his 33 past tournaments. Uh, when I look at this from a weighted T to green standpoint, he jumps third to my model. So it shows that TPC Sawgrass is a course that should suit his game and very good course history here over the years. He's made, I believe, five cuts in a row. So uh, the other name I was considering, or I guess the other names I was considering that I could have afforded at 7,000, I think Tom Hoagie is fine. He's going to be popular. I thought Alex Noren was fine. Um, you know, Bradley doesn't really give me a rebate in projected ownership, but uh, I just, my model seems to like him a little bit more this week. I love it. That is a wrap on the draft. I think we all have some really solid squads. Drop in the chat. Let us know what team you like most. Make a prediction on who's going to win, but we're not done yet. We're going to quickly go through our outrights and our first round leaders before we wrap up for tonight. And for now, let's dive right into the outright market. See ya. Kick us off. Who are you looking at? Yeah, I'm only going to give a few out here. I'll, I'll save the fun for the first round leader. Um, I've got Cam Smith at 30 to one. I, I'm not in love with the number, but I, I do think he has a chance to win this tournament. Um, Brooks Kepka, I'm seeing on DraftKings is 35 to one. You could have gotten him, and maybe you still can in other places at like 40 to one. So I think Kepka, if you get him at 40 to one, is a great number. 35 is you know an, an average number. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick, I can't ignore the ball striking. So 40 to one, and not just the ball striking, the short game too. Uh, 40 to one, I think is a decent number. Shane Lowry at 50 to one. So Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, Matt Fitzpatrick, Shane Lowry. Um, shop your lines if you can, because some of these numbers are different on, on other outfits. I love it. I love it. Spence, who you got in the outright market? So I'm going to give two on this show. I haven't made a decision yet with where I'm going outside of that. I grabbed two numbers that uh, I don't think either are unfortunately still left in the market. Um, one of them is Abraham Answer at 70 to one. The other is Russell Henley at 90 to one. 
And then just to throw it out there, the way that I'm most likely going to round out my card, I, I think Xander makes sense at 30 to one. I think that we finally have entered a territory where you can put him on a card. Probably not going to get there. It's probably just going to be a, an exposure week for me of like 0.7 to 0.8 units in the outrights, uh, which allows me to get to Rom at 13 to one if I want him or Thomas at 16 to one. So as of right now, I'm leaning a, an outright card of Rom, Henley and Answer. Um, we'll see if Thomas ends up making it instead of Rom, but it'll leave me some in-tournament exposure to deal with or, or some units to deal with there. And I think that's an important thing to note just because weather is going to be brutal uh, as of this moment on Saturday. I think you might be able to find some prices if you do want to jump in. So obviously jumping up to Rom does eat up a good portion of my um, exposure that I am going to have. But as long as I'm not over a unit is usually where I want to be from a pre-tournament perspective. And uh, Rom or Thomas allows me to get there. I love it. Tau, yeah. Talk to me. You got any outrights for us? Um, I picked the first five uh, picks of my DraftKings team will be on my outright card. I have Colin at 16 to 1. I think actually there was a boost to 18 to 1 to that. So I got him at 18 today. Um, Sung JM at 50, Co-Crack at 120. Um, Mito is at something 200 plus. Um, so obviously I am there. Um, who, uh, Leishman, I believe there's a 90 on him still. So I, I'm, I haven't bet that yet, but I probably will. Uh, my card is looking like I hope and pray Colin and Sungjae are in the mix. And then I just spread around a ton of bombs. Um, there's a few other bombs I'm looking at. Uh, Adam Hadwin is like 300 to one. I think he makes sense on this course. Um, Tom Hoagie, I think is 150. Brian Harmon's 150. So guys in that 150 plus range, I'm going to, I'm going to spread around a few more. It's volatile tournament. There's weather that can come into play. I'm more one to get all my exposure out in the beginning and then just kind of sit back and watch. Um, I'm not really much of a live better, so I will probably, you know, have a longer card, but a lot of just hedged bets out in that long shot range. Uh, see, Wu won this tournament at, at 300 to one. So you know, anything is possible as Kevin Garnett would say. <laughs> Just to throw this out there. Um, I kind of alluded to this uh, when you made the Sung JM pick, I think that 50 to one number is a very enticing number in the outright market. Yeah. I bet that two weeks ago, right before the Honda, cause I knew he was going to be the favorite at the Honda. And I, and I thought that was going to dip. He actually didn't play spectacular the next two weeks. Um, and the number came down a little bit, but there is still a 50 out there. I believe DraftKings still has a 50 if you're still looking. I believe you are correct on that too. Yeah, I've seen a lot of movement in the lines this week. I jumped on Brooks early in the week at 50 and yes, he's all up to 35 to one. I still like Brooks at 35 to one. Um, also up top, uh, I like Berger at 30 to one. Um, I really like taking a shot on um, an interesting one here, Dustin Johnson who we haven't really mentioned much at 35 to one. He's a guy that, you know, he's, I know it's a bad thing to say he's due to pop. You know, he's, he's taking a break. I think he's working on his game. So I don't love him as much in the DFS side. I will have some exposure, but in an outright market, he, he certainly is capable of winning the tournament. Lastly, Tao, I was, I know you said him. I'm with you. I always like finding that long shot that can win the tournament. I'm with you. I'm definitely going to put a couple bucks on, on Mito to win at 200 to one. Um, like you said, anything can happen. He does have the winning upside, and I just love that 200 number. Um, but the first round leader market this is where we make our money. 
Spencer, kick us off. Who you like for first round leader? Well, this is a big tournament. I am going to give my platform to Sia here to make the play. I, I will throw somebody out there. Let me look at this really fast. I haven't had a chance to look at the market yet. Um, I'll give you some guys that I don't know what their numbers are. Um, I'll, I'll release a card tomorrow on it. But when I'm looking for guys that have high upside in this tournament, Jordan Spieth is one of those players that I think that he could implode or he could be a first round leader. So he's probably somebody who will make my card. So I uh, will tentatively put him on, but I am going to forfeit the rest of my time to see you. <laughs> and by the way, Jordan Spieth is 65 to one as first round leader. I think that's a good number on him. It's a good number. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, for me personally, I have three first round leader plays to throw out there. I like Brian Harmon at a hundred to one. I like, um, where is he? Tom Hogue at 100 to 1, who used to be the first round leader specialist. He now seems to be able to find a way to compete on day two, three, and four as well, which is super interesting. And I also like at 90 to 1, Cameron Young. Tell, how about you? Who do you like in the first round leader market? Um, I like Spencer's entire roster. I think Spencer's going to open up like a 20 stroke lead after Thursday. He has every <laughs> first round leader specialist. He has Sergio, the reigning first round leader of this tournament, Sebastian Munoz, my muse, who of course I'm going to be betting every single week he's in the field. Uh, Keegan Bradley is a first round leader specialist. Russell Henley is a first round leader specialist. So I love all those guys. I don't know what their odds are. I love Hoagie too. I'll definitely be on Hoagie. Um, I I'll throw Russell Knox and Lanto Griffin out there as well. Two guys that are over a hundred to one Ponte Vedra beach buddies, uh, know the course. Well, we'll probably feel pretty comfortable round one before the pressure sets in. So I'm going to roll out, roll with that narrative this week. I like betting hundred to one plus first round leader guys myself. Yeah, I had Knox on my first round leader card, but I had to cross him off because I had like too many guys. He was literally like the last one out since it's March Madness. We can sort of talk about like who made the, the tourney and who didn't. So I do like the Knox play. Um, and I did look at Lanto Griffin too. I think Lanto is uh, 100 to 1. I think Knox is 110 to 1 on DraftKings. Um, all right. So let's get ready to make some money, guys. Like this is like the obvious lock. You know, every week we give you the first round leader, you put all of your money on it, and you're rich all of a sudden. So let's start with. Joaquin Neiman at 55 to one. I think Joaquin Neiman, um, I know he's probably not getting respected in the betting market and he's not really getting respected in the DFS market either. I do think he has a lot of upside and I think he's a really good pivot off a lot of the popular um, DFS names in that specifically in that 8k range. So I just, I really think that's somebody to consider, especially considering his ball striking can really pop like it did just a, a couple weeks back. So um, Neiman at 55 to one, Max Homa at 70 to one. Tom Hoagie was one of mine. I got him at a hundred to one. Um, TPC Lee at 110 to one or 120 to one, depending on where you find him there. Joel Dahman at 140 to one and the breaking news guys. So sprinkle a little bit on all those names, Neiman, Max Homa, Hoagie, Dahman, TPC Lee. But the breaking news, of course, that I'm giving you on Tuesday is that on Thursday morning, your first round leader is going to be a guy who, speaking of the betting market, is getting quite a bit of respect. A really good ball striker. He's really only had one bad tournament in the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 tournaments. And who has a pretty good history here. Not an extensive one, but a pretty good history here. He's 65 to 1, and he's tailor-made to be the first-round leader this week, and it's Taylor Gooch. I see what you did there. because You see what I did? Because Taylor his and name, then Taylor. His first name. His first name, and then the Taylor-made name. Which is also because it's a 
So it's I a actually, brand. I actually, you know, because see, when you give a lock like that, it's more than just saying it, right? We can easily just. <laughs> that was easy. That was easy. That was easy. So go ahead and just put everything you have on Taylor Gooch's first round leader because it's an obvious, obvious lock. That's, that's why right. I always give you the floor. <laughs> that that's a wrap for this week. Um, it's going to be a fun tournament. Uh, I think this for this week it's a lot about roster construction, tournament history. Check the weather. Come back into Discord. Uh, to look for our articles on ownership before you put your lineups in. But it's definitely going to be a lot of fun to watch. We have to thank John PGA Tout. Thank you so much for coming on and drafting with us. I hope you had fun. Any parting words for the fans? Um, just, just be ready for me to gloat in the face of everyone that puts it in the water because I am by the transitive <laughs> property better than them at golf. <laughs> Um, so just remember that as you watch this, uh, I'm looking for, and what is the prize? Um, when, when I walk away with this, with this W this week, it's sorry, sorry, really, listeners. It's a really good question. We're going to have to come up with something before the tournament starts. We have 48 hours before, um, the players starts. So oh, we'll I, I just remember it's the trip to Augusta. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, maybe we'll come up with a, with a, a secondary prize in case, we don't come through with the trip to Augusta, just in case. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, sure that won't be it. necessary, but, I'm, but we can work <laughs> it. Yes. Just a contingency plan, a, a plan B that will never come into play. Um, yeah, John, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for all the, that you do for the golf community. Um, and we need to check you out at the lines. Is that like the, like, what's the actual like URL, the website? Uh, the lines.com. Lines.com. I've seen some content on there from uh, from what I think is your football guy. He's he's super sharp. So um, oh, they are know. getting busy for March Madness, and I have not I have not watched a lick of college basketball because Syracuse. I, I ride and die with them, and they are out of it. They are unlike um, Russell Knox. They are far off the bubble. So um, so John, I'm a Georgetown Hoyas fan, which is of course <laughs> the big rival for Syracuse. They literally haven't won in three months. Oh dear, look at December fifteenth. <laughs> they were like a powerhouse just, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, all of those years. So here we are. Um, all right. With that said, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure we'll have you back um, when you get a chance to. Um, we always love to have you. And uh, everybody will probably post the team. So you, on Twitter, give us your opinion on, on the teams. We're, we're, like, we'll all be retweeting it and whatnot. And uh, if you don't already follow PGA Tout and read his stuff on Twitter, uh, you, you definitely kind of need to do that. The only other thing I have is... Oh, that's right. Sports. <laughs>